Hello and welcome to the Eastman's Predator Pros Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Nimnick. Great to be back on with you guys. Uh, first off, before we get going, man, I want to thank all you guys for, for listening to this podcast so far. Um, we're a little past halfway through the first season, um, and you know, you guys throughout your support have already made this the number one predator hunting podcast uh, that's out there right now. So I want to thank you guys for listening. Um, I really enjoyed the feedback I've been getting um, from everybody. You know, whether you guys hit me up on Instagram or send me an email, um, whatever it is, you know, if you're looking to do that, yeah, you know, my Instagram handle is at Jeff Nimnick, um, and that's Jeff with a G, G-E-O-F-F, um, or you can go to my website, which is coyotecraze.com, and you can find my email stuff on there if you want to send me a message through there. But, uh, you know, really appreciate your feedback. Um, you know, obviously, I want to put out content that you guys want to listen to. Um, sometimes I don't always... You know, come up with the best ideas. You know, to me, it's all kind of standard and and stuff I don't really think about. But for maybe a lot of you, it's it's stuff that you'd really like to know about. So, um, you know, if you have some ideas, maybe some things you'd like to hear on future podcasts, hit me up. Um, would you know? Definitely want to keep bringing you guys uh, some of the best predator hunting content out there. So, um, looking forward here to the second half of of the season to bring you guys some more great stuff. And you know, kind of on a on a different note for this show, thought it'd be fun. You know, a couple years ago. In 2018, a good buddy of mine, Wade Edis, and I competed in the in the National Coyote Calling Championships out in Rollins, Wyoming. And uh, we put together just a miraculous weekend. We, we ended up killing 30 coyotes. The The thing that's even more crazy about the whole story is that, uh, you know, at the time, you know, I don't know if anybody had ever even killed that many coyotes in a contest, a, a daytime contest. Um, and when it was all said and done, we actually finished in second place. So it's a pretty crazy story. Um, you know, I've written an article about this, um, in hunt 365 magazine, which is put out by guns America did that about a year ago or so, but I thought it'd be fun to, to get weighed on here. Um, almost it's going to be like an audio book. I'm going to go through and, and we're going to talk about a few things, but then I'm going to read the article and then we're going to stop just throughout the uh, parts of the article and just kind of go into more in depth and, and bring up some stuff. Like I said, you know, Wade and I talk about this a lot anytime we get together. So it's going to be kind of interesting, you know, to kind of get our perspective on really how we put together such a miraculous weekend and and talk about uh, the disappointment when when we finally did check in and things like that. But uh, so should be a fun and entertaining one for you guys uh, this time. But before we get going, I uh, need to thank, you know, the sponsor of this episode. I really wish, you know, we could do this without sponsors, but, uh, you know, sponsors are part of what I do. Um, and I've had the you know, the the privilege to work with companies that I would use no matter if they were supporting me or not. And Swagger's one of those. You know, I've been using their stuff now for three or four years. And, uh, you know, if you're in the market for some sort of a bipod system, whether it's their Hunter 42s or Hunter 29s that actually hook right to your gun, if you want something, you know, like the Quick Detach, the QD42s or QD29s, they have those. But I'll tell you what, I don't know if I'm supposed to give this promo code out to anybody, but uh, I'm going to give it to you guys. Just as a thank you, midway through making this the number one podcast, predator hunting podcast out there. But if you're looking looking to go get you a Swagger bipod and you go to their website, use promo code Coyote Craze twenty five C O Y O T E C R A Z E twenty five all one word, and that's going to give you twenty five percent off uh, one bipod when you go on there. So uh, put that to use. Um, but want to thank you guys for doing that. Like I said, if you're looking for for a bipod, go to Swagger Bipods. Dot com. Wade, great to have you on the podcast, man. Glad to be here. You know, we got to hunt together, what was that, a couple weeks ago, 
it was our first time hunting together this whole season. You and I live about three hours apart, so it's not real easy getting together. Um, but you know, when we hunted together a couple weeks ago, we started talking about this idea of a podcast and, and maybe reliving our glory days, you know, from a couple of years ago when we killed 30 coyotes in a weekend, uh, and, and what I like to call the best second place finish of all time. I would have to agree. <laughs> you know, you know, we're recording this now and you know, it's, it's first part of February, you know, how, you know, you and I talked about this a few weeks ago, you know, how would you rate your season so far? I would have to say this year has probably been one of my tougher, tougher years of calling in the last 10 years. Um, I haven't had a chance to get out as much as what I would have hoped. Partially, I think just with the mild winter that we've had, you know, every day that I had some time to go, it seemed like it was 60 degrees and the wind was blowing and, and, uh, but, and I think I, I put that a little bit to the response that I've had when I have been out calling, uh, you know, coyotes out there, 800,000 yards. It just, if you set up on top of them, it seemed like they responded well and they'd come to the call, but if they had to travel, uh, just with the winter conditions and not having to work much for a meal, just seemed like they, they were a little laid back compared to a typical winter. Yeah, I agree. You know, for me, it, honestly, last year was very similar. It seemed like those December and January months, normally that's when we're banking on having some winter weather and kind of motivating these coyotes a little bit. But when we don't get it around here, you know, in Western Nebraska, or, you know, Sandhills, Nebraska, where you're at, it seems like, yeah, they just, they just kind of lay there. And <laughs> like I said, if you're not within three, 400 yards of them, they could really care less. Yeah. I mean, when the ground's barely froze up and gophers are still digging and, and I think, you know, here, here where I live, uh, Mullen, Nebraska area, you know, we're, we're staring at the 10th of February and three inches has been our biggest snowfall all, all fall and winter. Um, it's, and I think it, it relates a lot to the response that I've had when I've had a chance to go out calling. Yeah, that's for sure. You know, what a lot of people don't realize, every part of the country is a little bit different when it comes to the food sources and what the coyotes are eating. You know, in the Sandhill country, there's a ton of these, I don't know if they're little gophers, little, you know, kangaroo rats. I don't know. There's a bunch of that stuff that burrows down into the sand. And, you know, early on in the season, normally that's pretty easy food for them. The coyotes can just stay in a little pocket and dig up a, a ton of them, you know, I think probably in the afternoon. And normally in a normal winter, that sand freezes, which means the coyotes can't dig, you know, and I think they have to start hunting a little bit harder. Um, but you know, when you have mild winters and there's no snow cover, no moisture in the sand, even freeze it, it makes it easy for them. I think to dig and, and find food. Yeah, totally agree. You know, it's typically this time of year, the lakes are all froze over and, and they're using, you know, those rush beds and, and working those, uh, hay yards where, where the ranchers stockpile their hay, you know, for winter feeding, um, you know, those mice just congregate in those bale piles and stuff. And, and it's, you know, I think the coyotes are, I don't know, as they've really bunched up, you know, wadded up like they do a lot of years when we have tough conditions, just because the food source is pretty easy pickings, you know, just because of the conditions that we've had this year. And so it's kind of hard to isolate in on those areas where typically the coyotes are, um, mild as it's been i think there's still a lot of cows that are scattered out in the hills and not had to relate to the cattle as much and the food sources that 
because they just don't require that much. Uh, they're not burning the energy that they normally do. Oh, for sure. For sure. Well, you're getting ready to start cabin here, what, a couple weeks probably? Yeah, probably another week. Uh, we, we'll, we could have a handful. And we were actually, as, as we had kind of lined up, we were going to make one final hurrah this week. But Mother Nature in this uh, wind every day kind of put a damper on that. So I guess the next best, best thing's uh, recording a podcast, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did have it today. Actually, we were planning on uh, going, giving it one more shot before you got busy. But we didn't feel like calling with 50 degrees and about a 40 mile an hour wind didn't seem too ideal for us to, to waste time. So here we are behind the microphone. Yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully this winter, uh, winter weather that we've been having continues now, uh, and doesn't change and, and, uh, turn to good cow hunting conditions when calving starts. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's not great for a cabin either. Is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> How many, uh, you'll shoot some coyotes, you know, when you're calving, you know, you know, normally when you're checking cows and, and things and you're out making your runs, you know, every few hours in the, in the night and things like that, you'll run across some coyotes and, and shoot a few doing that, won't you? Yeah. Um, you know, typically, you know, the hype is that, that coyotes create a lot of issues with calving. And, you know, for the most part, they're just coming through there and cleaning up the afterbirth and stuff, um, which is kind of the natural process. Uh, but the coyotes that you have issues with are those, the crippled up coyotes, the old coyotes that don't have much teeth left, uh, mangy coyotes. Um, and if I see something like that, or if I suspect that I've got a problem coyote, I'll try and target it out. You know, we'll maybe shoot three or four, but for the most part, I haven't had much problems here as far as coyotes uh, causing trouble during calving unless, you know, the situation is, you know, a cow's having trouble or um, something like that. But, you know, just on a day-to-day -day deal, typically they're just going through and, and scrounging up the easy meals, you know, and, and the number of calves that are lost during calving, two coyotes, I wouldn't say is a very big percentage typically that calf's either sick or that mother's having trouble, um, something like that. But yeah, we'll shoot, you know, if they're getting too brave, uh, I usually get the better end of the deal. <laughs> and that seems to be, you know, you talk to, you know, a lot of ranchers, I've talked to a lot of ranchers, and that seems to be the general consensus that coyotes, I think coyotes get blamed for probably a few more, you know, like you said, there was already a calf that was already sick or maybe even dead by the time, the coyotes found it, but all of a sudden somebody rolls up on it and sees the coyote chewing on it. And, and the coyote kind of gets blamed kind of a deal. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree? Yeah. We had a landowner that, that contacted me earlier this year and uh, he had some cows that were calving. Uh, that's new year's uh, pretty typically pretty cold time of the year to be calving. But anyways, um, he had lost a calf to the coyotes. Uh, we went out. And we ended up um, killing six coyotes that day. And two of the coyotes that we killed had both been caught in traps at some point in their life. Uh, broken front legs. Um, no kidding. Old coyotes didn't hardly have a tooth left in their head. And I think that that was probably part of the reason, um, you know, they just have a tougher time 
you know, hunting and, and for sure. putting, putting food on the table and that easy meal, you know, with a baby calf laying there. Um, once again, comes back to, you know, it was an obvious problem coyote. Uh, since then, he hasn't had near the trouble that he was having earlier. Well, on the, the same tune of calving, that kind of brings us to the whole point of this podcast. You know, you know, back in 2018, when we competed in the nationals, that was, that was in the fall. And, you know, what we're going to talk about, you know, briefly here before we get into the story is, is kind of the location and, and the scouting we did. And, and part of the reason we were able to kill so many is because we kind of stumbled upon a ranch that had a bunch of fall calvers on it, you know, and in our area, that's pretty, un, you know, it's not typical. Most of our ranchers, at least here in the Nebraska area, you know, calve in the springtime, you know, late winter, spring. So if you can find a ranch early in the fall that, that is calving, it's usually one of the few, you know, in the whole county possibly, which means, you know, you're going to have, you know, lots of coyotes, you know, that time of year, you got lots of transient coyotes. Anyways, these six month old pups are kind of scattering out. And if all of a sudden, like you said, you got a thousand head or 500 head, or even maybe 2000 head of cows calving, there's all that extra afterbirth and all that extra food source for them there. And a lot of coyotes kind of get drawn into a small area, um, you know, which, which kind of played out, right? I mean, that's, I, I contribute our numbers that weekend, uh, especially the first day, um, you know, to that scenario. Totally agree. You know, um, as you recall, we went in and scouted uh, that ranch uh, a couple, three weeks ahead of the contest. And, and we pop over the hill and overlook in that meadow. And, you know, there's probably seven, 800 head of fall calving cows. And we pulled down, get down close. And here's a cow walking that has afterbirth dragging, you know, four foot behind it. And I, I still remember making the comment, there's coyotes here. And oh, yeah. As, then we started our scouting process and, and, uh, definitely, I mean, it was like, we, we thought it would be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so, so let's give a little background on the contest. You know, this was the national coyote calling championship contest. It's been around, I think. Um, well, as a matter of fact, there's a traveling trophy that goes in. It has all the past winners. And I think the, um, I don't have it here with me, but I think it goes back maybe even to the late mid eighties, maybe the late eighties on there, you know, and, and lots of, lots of names people recognize, especially guys that have hunted in the West. You know, Les Johnson's on there four or five different times, you know, winning over the course of 15, 20 years. Um, you yeah, know, I think uh, there's some Hyde, Hyde brothers. From Hyde brothers North from North Dakota. Dakota, I think, have won at least four or five. There's, uh, um, you know, Norm Heater's on there, which is an old guy uh, that was around the coyote hunting world way back when. Um, but really a cool, cool thing, you know. And, and I'll post some stuff if anybody – is curious, you know, I have some stuff on my Instagram page, um, that I have on that trophy that you can kind of look back, but, but anyway, you know, a lot of history to this contest. Um, and every year it was held in Rollins, Wyoming. And, um, you know, for a lot of years, the format of the contest was that you had to, it was a two day contest and you had to check in, um, you know, the first day you would, you would check in like the Thursday night and then you'd head to wherever, but then you actually had to physically check back into Rollins um, the first night. And then the, the second day you had to check back into Rollins by a certain time. Well, you know, the, the first year we hunted it, they had actually modified the rule a little bit, uh, you know, numbers of the contest dropping. So they were trying to change it to where they could increase numbers of, of, you know, competitive teams. So they got rid of the first night check-in, which opened it up so people could travel a little bit more. And that's really probably the main reason we decided to get in it at that point, because we knew, you know, we could travel back here to Nebraska um, and hunt some gr ground that we were more familiar with, 
which ultimately at the end of the day, that gives you a better chance, you know, where you feel like you're, you're more competitive. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, I, I've hunted, you know, Wyoming some, but I'm not as familiar with it. And, you know, I've hunted the sand hills for 35 years. I hate to say, but, uh, uh, I guess I like to say, Kind of like you, Jeff, I, I was, uh, I started hunting coyotes when I was about 12, 13 years old. I still remember calling my first coyote in, but I was a coyote hunter back when coyote hunting wasn't cool. And, <laughs> and, uh, it's became an addiction and, but yeah, uh, the national contest, the way they had it set up 2018, 2019, it was really appealing to us because we could hunt ground that we were familiar with day one. And then, you know, day two move closer to check in and and hunt stuff that maybe we weren't quite as familiar with yeah you know what people might not realize you and i actually met through coyote contest you know i think you know contest yep. i put on for years you would come and hunt it you know you would you and i would compete on separate teams in the midwest down in st francis kansas for a lot of years and you and jay lovett actually won that what 2013 the midwest i think it was 2013 yeah, maybe I somewhere in there yeah, I think we hunted that contest for seven years, eight years in there, um, sniffed it a couple times and then finally put a, put a, uh, a winning combination together. I think it was in 2013. Um, you know, and, and we killed, we killed couch, uh, 18 couch in, in a day and a half. And, uh, if you stick around and listen to this podcast, you'll see why we were so tickled with uh, our <laughs> performance of day one of national. Uh, you know, so through through us just knowing each other, you know, we had talked about, you know, hey, let's try to team up sooner or later, you know, and, and do a contest together. And then, yeah, this nationals came about and, you know, we thought, hey, you know, and a lot of times, you know, and, and if you're a contest hunter, listen to this, you may do the same. But usually when I'm hunting a contest with a partner, you know, we try to divvy out the responsibilities as far as who's lining up the land access and things like that, you know, and that was kind of the plan that we put together was I was going to go through and line us up our day one stuff um, back in Nebraska. But then ultimately we knew we had to be a little bit closer to check in on day two, just so we had could spend more time hunting that day instead of driving. Um, and then you came across the connection um, that got us some some access over into Wyoming that was a little closer. So it worked out. It was a great partnership you know, leading to the, to the ground we have, because ultimately in a contest, you know, you're only as good as your ground. I mean, there's, there's still the execution factor and putting together a plan and being efficient and, and killing the coyotes you call in. But, um, you know, you're not going to pull coyotes out of thin air if there's not coyotes there to begin with. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, uh, it was crazy how we, how I stumbled on to the day two property and, and, and going into it, you know, we felt, we felt confident that we could kill, you know, five to seven coyotes, but, um, we, I think we were, uh, extremely surprised at, at what we found once we got there. <laughs> For sure. You know, so, so what I'm going to do, so a, a year or two ago, I wrote an article for uh, guns America puts out a, a hunting site called hunt 365. And I've wrote, I've written some articles for them over the years. So one of them I did was on this particular hunt. Um, and you know what, so what I'm going to do here is I, I thought it'd be fun. I'm actually going to read the article because I went through kind of a play by play of the article uh, of the hunt, how it laid out for the two days. And, you know, 
ultimately, if, if you tell people that you killed 30 coyotes in two days at a contest, you know, us being around contests for a lot of times, you know, there's a, probably a handful of people that say that's pretty much impossible. You had to have cheated, you know, and that's just the, yep. that's just the general way it is that if you're winning contests and killing lots of coyotes, that's just because a lot of guys haven't had a chance to experience that. Um, so they think it's pretty much impossible if they haven't been able to do it, you know, so I've always thought it was important, you know, to, there's no secret to what we were doing. You know, we were efficient killing coyotes. We were efficient with a plan. Um, and as you'll find out, as you read the story, we shot phenomenal, you know, that weekend, um, which is what it takes to put those numbers. And, and at the, at that point, I don't know if somebody's beaten it or if that was even a record, or maybe I don't know everything, but at this point, you know, or even at that point, I had never even heard of anybody killing 30 coyotes in a day, a two day daytime contest. I'd heard of it, you know, 24 hours and all night. But at that point, that was like the, the, uh, the Holy grail to be able to kill that many, you know, in a, in a two day contest. Yeah, it was, you know, I remember always, you know, back when I first started hunting and, and got to the point where, you know, consistently killing, you know, you'd go off for a day and you'd kill five coyotes. Well, then next thing you know, you want to kill 10 and it was, you know, 10's, 10's a stiff number to get to and you've got to shoot well and you've got to be in an area where there's a good population of coyotes but you know i don't think you or i either one ever dreamt that you know we'd kill going into the contest we were hoping to kill 20 for the contest and you know we figured our day two we could we could probably get five six maybe um so we were kind of shooting for that or I, my mindset was, you know, if we can kill 10 or 12 on day one, we're going to be setting pretty good. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's all. I mean, any contest you do, you know, regardless whether it's first part of November or, you know, December or January. Yeah. Yeah. If you get beat doing that, oh, well, you know, we, we put forth a good effort and, and congrats to the guys that beat us, but yeah, that was definitely my expectations as well. Yeah. So so here we go. I'm going to, I'm going to get into this article here and then we're going to, we'll just stop as we get going. And, and if there's some pieces, obviously in this article I wrote, I couldn't include all the little bits of details and things like that, but uh, that's what I think will be fun about this is we can recap this hunt and, uh, and everybody can have an, an idea of what it really takes to put 30 coyotes in the truck in a weekend. Well, you know, as, as, as you can see this gray, um, you know, my mind's kind of starting to fall a little bit. So you got to refresh me so I can remember stand to stand here as we go through. I'm going to be the same way, man. I start, I read through this, just a, I read through this thing just a little bit and I'm like, Oh, I don't even remember that stand. But as you know, when you get into those days where you kill 10, 12, 14, 15, whatever coyotes, it's, it's hard to really, when you're, when you're cranking out 20 or 25 stands in a day, it does get pretty tough to actually go back and remember everything, you know, honestly. Yep. Well, we'll see. You're, I know you're getting old, but we'll see what you can remember on here. You know, I might need your help on some of these. <laughs> uh, so here we you go. Jog my, you jog my memory and I'll, I'll, I'll help you out. It sounds good. So if you want to read this article, actually, the first part of the article I go through and I talk about a little bit about our plan, a little bit of how contests work and stuff like that, a little bit about the, the nationals in general. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm going to skip that. and We're going to get right into the hunt. As the sun crept close to the horizon, the first coyote of the day was making its way across the hay meadow towards our position. Although it ended up swinging towards the downwind side several hundred yards, it presented me with a standing broadside shot, and my bullet found its mark. 
the first and most important coyote of the contest was in the truck, right? The first one, man. I always tell it like this. You got to kill. Just sets, it just sets the stage for the whole day. If, you, if you're walking back to the truck and either screw up that first stand or it's a dry stand, you know, it seems like every contest that I've ever killed, you know, big numbers on, as you look back at it, by nine, nine, ten o'clock in the morning, you're you're pushing double digits. You know, it's just it's the way it starts out, and it seems like it sets the stage for the whole day. Oh, for sure, and it just eases. You know, obviously, even as many coyotes as we've shot, you there's still a little nerves. You know, and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, and obviously you don't want to shank a shot. You know, on the very first one, but if you kill that first coyote, then it's kind of like okay, you kind of take a big deep breath and you're like all right we're just killing coyotes just like any other day you know and then it's almost like it just kind of takes care of itself the rest of the day you know yep yeah it's uh you know what that kind of get to probably 150 175 yards and, and if i recall it was pretty there was not much wind first thing that morning and you know how coyotes act when when it's you know real calm it's it's just like they're they don't trust their senses quite as or you know they they got to have a little bit of breeze to be able to try and get that try and circle on that downwind side or it just seems like they're a little more hypersensitive or something oh for sure for sure so after making a short drive we headed into our second stand of the day just the sun was breaking onto the landscape out in front of us four minutes in i squared the crosshairs upon the chest of the second coyote of the day and it folded up at 80 yards as I rolled through a variety of coyote pup distress sounds for the next six minutes, the second coyote on the stand appeared to the left and stopped at the top of a small hill to investigate the sound. After a deep breath and a slow squeeze, coyote number three of the dead was before was dead before it hit the ground. Now, this was actually so all we did, you know, at this point, you know, in our day, we had a plan already, you know, in place. That's what people don't understand. We're just not winging it. I mean, we had a, a very specific plan on where stand one was going to be, stand two, stand three down the road. And, you know, that's all. Very, you know, when we scouted, when we kind of laid out a route, we knew which general direction the wind was going to come from. Um, and, and it was true, you know, the, the weatherman didn't screw us, you know, with a opposite wind or something like that the day of the contest. Um, but that, that was just right over the backside. You know, we had made this call on the meadow and we actually just drove around the backside of the hill. And now, you know, the, the first stand of the day, we were facing east, but we didn't want to get in there too late because of the sun, we'd be looking right into the sun. And then from that point, we actually made a made a turn and and got on a Western route, you know, and that's where we killed those second two coyotes on this, on the second stand. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, if if I recall, I went back and got the pickup and, uh, came over and you'd packed up your two coyotes and, and then I think I should have taken a brief, uh, break from the day of hunting and clean my bolt a little bit on my AR. (laughs) Yeah, because at this point you hadn't fired a shot yet, you know. So no, and I was I was fairly I was really new to shooting suppressed, and if anybody, I mean everybody knows once you start shooting suppressed, just the back pressure that you get has a tendency to gum up that bowl a little more, uh, more carbon buildup, and. I guess I should have put some uh, one shot on or something because obviously uh, if 
that first or second stand, I would have found out the same thing that uh, <laughs> we're about to tell them on the third. Yeah, yeah. Excited about our exceptional start, we hiked our way into the third stand of the morning. As I looked up from the remote after pushing play, I instantly noticed a coyote standing on the hillside out in front of us. Shortly after, a second coyote stood up next to it. Within seconds, the first coyote started closing the 350-yard gap, and the second coyote cautiously followed at a distance. Wade was situated off to my right and downwind at the base of a big hill we were sitting on. A shelf halfway up the hill denied me visibility of exactly where he, where he was sitting, but it made for a great place to set up the e-call. As the lead coyote stopped out in front of Wade at 70 yards, I drew a bead on the second coyote standing 200 yards away. As several seconds passed, I was surprised not to hear the report of his Daniel defense and instead watched as the closest coyote continued coming to the call and disappeared underneath the shelf of the hill. I watched in, in amazement as Wade stood up, shouldered his rifle and pointed at the coyote standing 15 yards to his right in the tall grass and sagebrush. <laughs> <laughs> in disbelief, the coyote continued to stand there watching Wade as he hastily racked several rounds through his rifle, trying to get one to fire. As we later discovered, a dirty bolt leads to the failure of round seating properly. By this time, panic started to set in, and luckily the lead coyote cleared the crest of the hill behind Wade and offered me an opening for a shot. As the meat report echoed off the hillside, our focus quickly turned towards the second coyote. To our surprise, it was still standing out in front of us watching the circus that had just unfolded. After a quick adjustment to our shooting positions and a tag team shooting effort on the trotting coyote, we had scored on our second double in as many stands and our fourth and fifth coyotes of the day were in the truck. You know, that's the beauty sometimes in these November contests, you know, you'll get some coyotes that haven't been hunted yet. And these were this, that lead coyote was obviously a, a seventh month old dumb coyote pup that had no clue. Cause <laughs> it, thank it God was, they weren't uh, adult coyotes or two or three year old coyotes because uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that coyote could hear me uh, saying some rather uh, adult rated <laughs> words. And I thought there's no way we're going to kill both these coyotes. And, but when you got, when you got Jeff shooting back in the up, you're, uh, uh, you're always in well, pretty good shape. And the crazy thing is you were downwind to me about off this hill. If you imagine this shelf down about 40 yards in front of me at this little flat top, and then it dropped off again to where you were sitting this coyote actually got between me and you where the call was. Yeah. And I actually had to wait for him to clear a little bit. So I wasn't shooting kind of right down where you were at. Um, you know, I mean, we, I don't know if you can read shots. my sign language. I don't know <laughs> if you can read my sign language, but I was trying to give you the, the high sign that my gun was not operating. Yeah, correctly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this is one of those cases, you know, sometimes I, I like, to not base a lot on luck but sometimes you need a little luck on your side for for everything to work out you know and and you and i both been in contests where luck was not on our side and things just happened just a little unlucky and you just you know but that day you know and that yep. weekend you know luck was definitely on our side as you'll find out through a few more of these these stands after our fourth stand of the morning came up empty we continued grinding out stands as planned. Our fifth stand yielded yet another double as Wade made quick work of the two coyotes. I remember that one, you know, we were facing back to the north and those coyotes kind of came off that, you know, that meadow down in front of us. And you were just set up perfect on both of those and, you know, had a couple, I don't know, those weren't very far shots, a couple hundred, 150 yard shots on those two coyotes. Yeah, they were, and they were perfectly staged. You know, they were probably four or 500 yards apart. That lead coyote came and he was so focused on the call. I still, you know, I, I 
barked at him. He stopped 80 yards, dropped him. By then, if I recall, we were kind of facing the northeast direction. That wind had kind of established itself for the day a little bit and uh, was kind of in a nor- blowing out of the north. And that's about the time I killed the first one. That second one was just coming off the hill out there about 500 yards. And, and uh, yeah, it couldn't have worked any better. Oh, yeah. I think they were lay. I think they were laying about 25 yards apart when we went and picked them up. Yeah, according to the article, it says the first one was on top of the Lucky Duck Revolt within 90 seconds and it died to stop to take a look. The suppressed shot didn't phase the second coyote as it came barreling up the hill towards us on the same path as the first. Wade folded the coyote just yards from its buddy, and we had just added coyotes six and seven to the pile. So, yeah, by this time, you know, what is it? I mean, honestly, we're, you know, we're, what, see, five stands into it. So, at this point, it can't be 830, probably in the morning. No. Cause our first stand was probably, you know, six forty-five, something like that. And, you know, from, from where we killed the first coyote to where our fifth stand was probably the way the crow flies wasn't much over a mile and a half straight North because we'd kind of made a circle, you know, back to the West. And then that wind kind of established itself and gave us a direction, you know, that we had to work, but yeah, it was just, and we weren't even to the fall calving cows yet. No, no, that was what was crazy about this whole thing. <clears throat> stand six came up dry, and on our way into stand seven, Wade made an excellent 150-yard running shot on a coyote we bumped. Now, this is what I call bonus coyotes, and, and every contest is a little bit different, you know. In this particular contest, you could actually shoot coyotes, move them from stand to stand, as long as you attempted to call them, you know, and that means whistling at them, lip squeak at them, howling at them. You know, and, and when you're hunting this big country, you know, we're just kind of off-roading it, you know, going from stand to stand. And you do bump coyotes. It's not ultimately what you want to happen. But, you know, every now and then, yeah, you do get what we call a, a bonus coyote in the, in the coyote world. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and that coyote that we bumped uh, two weeks prior, you know, when we were in there scouting, we see this cow, cow that's got the afterbirth dragging along behind her, this coyote that we bumped probably wasn't 50 yards from where we had seen that cow you know it's down on the edge of the meadow the ranchers had been feeding in that area these coyotes just know you know that there's a food source there and his timing of looking for a food source was not the best (laughs) that's for sure (laughs) eight coyotes and seven stands and it wasn't even 10 o'clock yet as we can continue to stay on pace with our plan for covering the area Stand eight produced our first lost coyote of the contest. As the coyote checked up chest on about 150 yards in front of Wade, the impact of the bullet tipped the coyote over and it rolled below the crest of the hill and out of sight. To Wade's surprise, the coyote gathered itself from behind the small rise and started to run off. We were able to fire several quick shots, shots off at it as it went streaking through a saddle in the hill chain 300 yards away, but were unable to connect. We guessed the bullet caught the coyote left to right of one of its shoulders, but nonetheless, we shook off the only missed opportunity of the day and continued onward. Although, you know, that's the thing, I, you know, chest on shots, you're always talking, you know, very small target, even obviously a lot smaller target than when you're shooting broadside coyotes. And, you know, you picture if you hit them dead center, I think you got what, maybe a four or five inch zone, if that, on a chest on coyote. But then you got a couple inches on each side, which is just a shoulder meat, you know, in the, in the shoulder blade. And if you hit them there, like when you hit that thing, you know, it was loud and the coyote was right up on the peak of that little sand hill. And it tipped him straight over backwards and he just disappears, you know, as he's tipping over 
and you and I are kind of looking at, oh yeah, you know, great shot. You know, you don't even really pay attention over there anymore. And then all of a sudden out of the corner of your eye, you catch this coyote making his way 300 yards away that had, that had gotten up and gathered himself and made it out of there. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, he was trying to work his way to the downwind side, obviously. And yeah, it was 150 yard chest on him. I felt confident in the shot. And I think, uh, like I say, I didn't play, play, uh, play the wind enough and push that. If I was to guess, probably caught the point of that left shoulder and just the impacts of that bullet, um, you know, flipped him over, stunned him. And then to see him going out, uh, was a disappointment, especially when a follow-up shot didn't connect. But you know, the article says it was the only missed opportunity of the day, but actually I had a missed opportunity as well. You know, and that was only our we had two missed opportunities the entire time. You know, the one I missed was later in the afternoon and we once again we're we're going from stand to stand and we bumped the coyote. And normally I pride myself on my running shots, but this one, you know, <laughs> I think I started shooting at the coyote at a hundred yards and I was still shooting at him at three hundred and I emptied the dang AR on him and could not hit this. It was his lucky day, you know. I don't know what the deal was there, but that was our only our two missed opportunities of the day. Yeah. I- you know, we've, we've put numerous days under our belt. And if you can go out and say, you know, especially in a contest setting like that, where you're running a gun and, and, and making a lot of stands, uh, if you can get out of there with only two, two missed opportunities, uh, it's a pretty successful day. Oh, for sure. Stand nine produced yet another double, double, but more of the unconventional type. We had left the truck and were almost to the point where we were going to set up and Wade spotted a coyote trotting up the hill out in front of us several hundred yards away. I quickly dropped down to a knee, shouldered the rifle, and squeezed off a shot just as the coyote stopped at the top of the hill to look back at us. The bullet found the vitals, and as the coyote started into a death spin, Wade spotted a second coyote leaving that was one hill further out. The coyote disappeared briefly in a low spot, but reappeared and stopped just as it got to the top of the hill. I made a quick guess on the range, held the crossers accordingly, and touched off around. My guess proved to be correct as a bullet impact was heard from 340 yards away. In a matter of eight seconds, our fourth double of the morning was on the ground, and Coyotes 9 and 10 were in the truck. Once again, a little luck on our side, you know. We had the right setup. We were we were just were one hill too deep. You know, we had to call both those Coyotes in. But, uh, you know, sometimes you, you got to be ready when you, when you get down in there and you and that is part of the deal. You're going to bump some coyotes, but uh, if you can get them killed, that's it's a bonus. The first shot was was an impressive shot, but the second shot on the or the second coyote was probably one of the best shots I've seen on a coyote uh, running uh, up what looked like Mount Everest across from us. <laughs> it was uh, a big I old, remember that. It was cat, a big old steep sand. It wasn't a big old hill. And was it the first coyote or the second coyote that came all the way to the bottom on that? Because you, you, it was the heart shot. And he spun uh, and he rolled and, all the way. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good thing we didn't have to hike all but, the way up there and get that one. <laughs> but once again, you know, things things just lined up because you know your chances of of getting that first coyote on a typical day probably pretty good but to get that second coyote you know um you put a heck of a shot on him but most of the time you might not even have got that shot on yeah. that coyote. yeah that was that was once again luck was on our side man you know and and as i recall 
we had a couple weeks before that contest, we had a dip in the weather and, you know, temperatures dropped down into the low teens, um, had five, six inches of snow and, you know, it kind of, kind of pushed those coyotes down into more of a feeding mode. And then, you know, with the, with the fall calving herd right there, um, I think that definitely helped to having all these coyotes watered up in that tight area. Oh, for sure. For sure. After stands 10 and 11 came up empty, we grabbed a sandwich out of the cooler and headed to the other side of the ranch for an afternoon run. Shortly after we left stand 11, the wind made a 180-degree switch on us. This, this can be devastating for a game plan, but luckily for us, the weatherman had predicted it in the forecast, and we had incorporated this switch into our plan of attack for the day. Now, this has happened several times, you know, where, where the wind does switch, but you know what's going to happen, and you hope that the weatherman's right. You know, and luckily for us that day, you know, the way that the ranch laid out, you know, I think the wind switched out of the south, maybe it was kind of north, northwest, and it kind of switched out of the southerly side. And the, just the way the ranch laid out, it actually was to our advantage to be able to work it to the south with that south wind. Yeah. And, you know, that's a good point because, you know, especially a lot of these younger, younger guys, younger generation that's getting into the calling and the contests and stuff, how important it is to lay out a plan. You know, that weatherman's not always 100% right, but, uh, you know, if you can lay out a plan, have an alternate plan there, uh, if we would have just went by the seat of our pants, you know, and we would have burned a lot of time trying to get, you know, to the south portion in the afternoon to keep working if it was we were anticipating a northerly wind, but knowing that it was supposed to switch, we had the plan in place and, and – uh, was made able to you know make the best of the time in the field oh yeah efficiency man that's what i talk about a lot being efficient whether it's just contests or just hunting in general you know being efficient because ultimately on a day like this where we're in coyotes if we if we're if we're slower inefficient you know we don't get in the last two stands of the day which as you'll find out yep. we're pretty we're pretty important <laughs> you know um you know so yeah efficiency is always always huge Shortly after we left stand 11, the wind made 100 degrees switching us. It could be devastating for game plan. Um, stand 12 produced coyote number 11. The cautious pup only presented us with a 200-yard headshot, but our confidence was high, and the bullet found its mark. You know, I didn't go into a whole lot of detail on that one, but, you know, I don't remember if you could even see this coyote. But he, I couldn't see. I was watching the opposite direction. and I actually had the feed, rancher's feed truck going right by me on the – kind of watching on the downwind side, and uh, – I didn't even really hear you shoot um, until, you know, I seen you stand up and give me the thumbs up sign. Yeah, you know, this coyote showed up on this little this little ridge line of this sand hill. He came out of this big hill in front of us, and he got to about 180, and I was just being patient. You know, the wind was perfect, and just all at once, the coyote just turned around and was gone, and I was thinking to myself, damn, you know, I just I should have shot that coyote right there. And I remember I, I switched to some sound. I don't know if I switched to a pup distress or a lip squeak or something like that. Well, the coyote actually made a little loop around this little knob and popped back up, uh, you know, right at 200 yards. And all I could see was his head and just a little bit of his neck. And I thought at this point, the coyote had already left once. I figured this was going to be the best shot I was going to get. And I remember when I shot, you know, when all you have is a head shot, one or two things are going to happen. Either you're going to probably kill the coyote dead or you're going to miss. And I remember hearing the bullet go whack. But then all of a sudden I hear this coyote just 
screaming over there on the backside of this hill. <laughs> and instantly in my mind, I thought to myself, well, if this coyote's screaming, I did not hit him where I wanted to hit him in the head, you know? So I remember I took off sprinting, you know, down, down that big hill in the bowl and came up to where he was, you know, I was winded. And I remember coming up on that hill and this coyote was actually walking away. Um, you know, and I ended up shooting the coyote again at about 150 yards. But one of the craziest things I've ever seen, you know, this coyote was facing me and I hit the coyote right in the eyeball with the bullet. But for some reason, I, it did not kill him. And I, I still to this day, I always wonder about that coyote and how exactly you can hit a coyote facing you square in one of the eyeballs. And it did not kill that coyote. I, to this day, I don't know exactly what happened there. <laughs> <laughs> but once again, hey, we got, you know, a little luck was on our side. <clears throat> Stand 13 was dry, but we managed to roll off four straight singles on stands 14 through 17. Our shooting continued to save the day as we made several shots out past 250 yards and one incredible 350-yard running shot. You know, and this isn't that lull part of the afternoon where, you know, that middle part of the afternoon from maybe noon to two or three, which is really where in contests you can make up ground because I think a lot of guys struggle during that middle part of the day. You know, they maybe don't put enough effort emphasis on that middle part of the day as far as their game plan goes sometimes the wind may be blowing a lot you know so if you can kill coyotes during those you know middle four hours you know you know you're you're really making you know making up ground there and and you know getting bonus coyotes essentially yeah and you know when we got into that portion of the ranch it opened up a little bit more you know you'd have a range of hills but then you'd have a pretty good flat and then another range of hills and, and those coyotes, you know, that middle portion of the day have more of a tendency to be up there, you know, just kind of lounging out, bedded down in their daytime areas. We were able to get in there and, and uh, you know, make hay well sunshine. The main coyote I remember on there, you know, in this big open country, what a lot of, what a, a surprises a lot of guys that have never hunted big open country like that is, you're kind of guessing where the coyote's going to come from, but really you don't ever know. I mean, coyotes can come from basically 180 degrees or even more around you. And I remember that one particular coyote just show, he came from almost behind us and he showed, he yeah. almost, he almost ran you over coming from the hard left and you didn't have any time to even shoot. He, by the time he saw you and whipped around, he made it back over the till. And, and I remember looking over at you and seeing you kind of run to the top of the hill. So I turned around and ran to the top of the hill. And by that time, this coyote, you know, he was 300 yards out there running and you and I kind of just start, bam. And I remember we rolled him up in that big blowout out there about 350 yep. yards. Um, <laughs> you know, we just kind of look at each other with a big smile and just say, man, you know, when it's your day, it's your day kind of a deal. Yeah. I don't, more than likely you were probably the one that rolled him up, but I'm going to say it was 50, 50 on which one of us got it. I would agree. Cause I think some of us slowed it down <laughs> and then I think we put a few bullets in that coyote, you know, but that's what you got to do and keep shooting until they stop moving, you know, <laughs> Hornady would have been proud and the suppressors were warmed up. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but our streak came to an end as stands 18 and 19 drew blanks. With 15 coyotes in the truck and the sun setting to the west, we hustled into the last stand of the day. Several minutes in, I spotted a coyote making its way down off the hill out in front of us. Wade was sitting about 70 yard, 75 yards to my right and covering the downwind half of the stand. Judging the coyote's approach angle, I knew it was only a matter of time before Wade would have a shot. As the coyote checked up to survey the area, the suppressed shot echoed through the draw and the coyote dropped dead in its tracks. With only a few minutes of shooting light left, I decided to get aggressive on the e-call in hopes of triggering a fast response from any coyotes off in the distance. 
As the coyote fight rang out through the hill chain, I suddenly noticed the silhouette of a coyote standing off to my left on the skyline across the draw. Just as I started to move my rifle to get in position, the coyote bolted off the hill on a dead run towards the e-call. I instantly picked up the movement of a second coyote paralleling the first down the hillside. In the blink of an eye, they closed the distance to under 50 yards. After failing to get either of the coyotes to stop, they wheeled around and began to leave as fast as they came in. I quickly adjusted my position and set my sights on the coyote to the left running across the bottom of the draw. My first shot found nothing but dirt, but my second connected and the coyote rolled. A quick follow-up shot dispatched the coyote, and I looked off to my right just in time to witness Wade cartwheel the second coyote as it streaked across the flat out in front of him. After exchanging excited fist pumps with Wade, I stood there admiring the sunset and the triple that was scattered out in front of us. We had just finished the most incredible day of coyote hunting either of us had ever experienced. 18 coyotes were in the truck, and we had put ourselves in an excellent position to win the National Coyote Calling Championship. Yeah, the funny thing about that stand is, is I'd, I'd had the opportunity to hunt that ranch probably eight, eight nine years prior to us hunting it for the national contest and uh, killed my first triple in that same range of hills, probably 400 yards from where we were set up. So to, uh, to go in there and kill a triple in the setting that we were in was pretty awesome. Yeah. And that's both. I do, I do remember that stand. It was so there was snow on the ground, you know, left over from that storm a week, 10 days prior. And it, it had gotten dark enough on that stand that that second coyote, or well, the third coyote, the second coyote that I killed, if that coyote wasn't on the snow, I couldn't hardly pick him out. I mean, it was that far, it was that close to being done, you know, as far as the, the, uh, sun setting and daylight gone. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what it takes, you know, I mean, what that day we ended up killing what four doubles and a triple, if I remember right. Maybe yeah, seven. four or five maybe five doubles. I, yeah, we just talked about it. And I can't even remember now, <laughs> but you know, that's yeah. what you need. I mean, we're, you know, obviously, you know, we made 20 stands that day. Um, you know, we probably had a blank stands on maybe six, six or seven of those stands. It's, you know, from what I can recall, you know, so that's just the type of day it takes to really put, you know, our shooting was phenomenal. We, we got lucky. We made some long shots. We made some running shots. Um, you know, but all in all, man, that's what it takes to, to put yourself in position to, to do well. Yeah, I, I forget how many of those coyotes were, you know, running shots, especially on those multiples and stuff. But uh, well, as you hear the second day, yeah. there was there's that that was when you know it it got even a little crazier with the running shots. You know, it seemed like you know. Yeah. Well, here we go. Actually, this is a two part article, so I actually had to go into the second part of the article here. So if anybody else wants to read this, you're gonna have to go into part two here. So so here we go. Expectations are high. Day two, as we loaded up the truck in preparation for the 45 minute drive to our hunting location, Wade and I were still reliving the unbelievable action we'd experienced the first day of the contest. 18 coyotes in a day was a personal best for each of us, and we knew we'd put ourselves in great position to win the National Coyote Calling Championship. But as experience has taught us, two-day contests are generally won on the second day. We would need another exceptional effort with a touch of luck in order to finish strong and bring home the national champion buckles. You know, good point there. I mean, day two, a lot of guys sometimes overlook, you know, day two, um, stuff, you know, and sometimes contests you can win them on day one, but it seems like more times than not the guys that can put a good day one together, but can kill 
you know, a fair number of counts on day two, man, that's, that's where the contests are won. Yeah, totally agree. You know, uh, 90%, I would say, um, contest hunters, you know, you, you, you've all got your, your honey hole or, or your best piece of ground and you hunt at day one, but being able to back it up with a day two and being able to produce is huge. And, and, uh, you know, we, we just happened to luck into getting this piece of property that, um, actually it was several landowners, but, uh, we were able to put a plan together. We knew there was coyotes there and we, neither one of us had ever hunted the property, but, um, we felt pretty optimistic going into it. And as you're about to hear, things worked out pretty well. <laughs> During the short drive, we finalized a few remaining details of the day ahead of us. We verified the projected wind direction and then laid out an efficient route getting from stand to stand. We estimated only having time for 12 stands based off the check-in deadline of 6 p.m. and the three-hour drive back to Rollins. Building a plan and executing it on a timeline is essential for successful contest hunting. Every second counts and wasted time throughout the day deciding on where to go next Will ultimately cost you several coyotes in the long run with expectations high we parked the truck just as the morning twilight began to light up the landscape from my experience killing coyote on the first stand of a contest day is equivalent to stepping into the batter's box and smashing a home run during the first inning of a game it sets the tone and settles the nerves as the lucky duck revolt spun from side to side casting a variety of sounds through the crisp wyoming air our anticipation of a fast start was soon snuffed out after the 18 minute stand turned up nothing you know and we were, and once again, we had never hunted this place before, you know, you know, the rancher, John, that you'd worked with, you know, he had lined us up with some neighboring ranches, which is always a great connection. And you know, when you build those relationships with those ranchers and, and they know that, Hey, these guys are good and they're good dudes and they're going to take care of the land and they're going to respect the rules and all that, you know, it's, it can be easy at times to, to let that rancher talk to his neighbors and line up access. And that's exactly what this whole plan was based off of. You know, we had, you know, where day one, yeah. we had one big chunk of ranch that we were on the whole entire day. Our plan on day two was a handful of scattered landowners. And, you know, we only had enough access to make one or two stands per, per spot. And then we knew we'd have, you know, maybe a five to 10 minute drive in between stands. So we were trying to accommodate for all that in our plan, knowing that, Hey, you know, we had to be back in Rollins by six with our pile of coyotes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, uh, and it really laid out, I mean, the property or the ranches lay out because it's, we weren't having to burn a bunch of time of, you know, more or less cutting our route or following a two track. It was whip in, make a stand or two, whip back on it, get back onto the county road, go down two miles, jump over on the other side of the road. And so it really laid out well for a contest. Oh, for sure. For sure. With no time to waste, we hustled back to the truck and raced the sunrise to our second stand of the morning. But once again, the first coyote of the day eluded us, and the second stand yielded the same as the first. As we marched into the third stand, we noticed the light and variable wind had decided to swirl. With time already wasted, we elected to make the stand, even though the three-mile-an-hour breeze was now blowing into the area where we were hoping the coyotes would come from. As the timer on my remote passed the two-minute mark, I noticed a coyote making its way across the pasture out in front of us. The loping coyote geared down into a fast trot as it crossed under the 300 mark. It began circling towards the downwind area that unfortunately was out in front of us now. With mere seconds to adjust, I moved my rifle into position in hopes of getting a shot at the coyote before it hit my wind. Just as I settled the legs of the swagger bipod into the dirt and peeked over the scope, 
the coyote had made a hard right turn and started to leave. Immediately, I made a loud barking sound, and the coyote checked up to look back. As the trigger broke, the crosshairs drifted onto the stomach of the coyote. A loud thump confirmed the bullet made contact, but I knew the shot was no good. After an unsuccessful effort to get another bullet into the streaking coyote, we found ourselves walking back to the truck empty-handed. You know, and this was a this is a critical time too because we could have, you know, we put a bullet in that coyote. You know how far that coyote went, nobody knows. And we made it. We elected at that point to to not chase after this coyote. You know, and and that's a that's a decision you have to make sometimes. You know, I've heard of guys wasting hour or more looking for a wounded coyote during a contest. You know, and coming up empty-handed, and you know. Just based off of our knowledge of where we hit that coyote and how far we saw him running, we just elected, you know what, we're not going to waste any time. It's just chalk it up to a, a coyote that got away. Yeah, you know, because the coyote, was, he was obviously hit, but we both know after the years of, of hunting, you know, uh, a low, uh, poorly placed shot, those coyotes can go for miles. Oh, yeah. You know, with um, – and we chose that the next stand would be, you know, more productive and, and, and not wasting time with the uncertainty of whether we had ever retrieved that coyote. And staying positive at this point, you know, we're three stands deep, haven't killed a coyote. A lot of people would say we've wasted the best part of the day, you know, presumably, you know, and, and now you're like, oh, man, we can't lose momentum, man. We got to stay positive. We got to keep, keep going, you know. Yep trying to not let the disappointment of losing a coyote overtake the positive vibe we were trying to maintain we shook off the missed opportunity and kept on with our plan as i positioned my seat and shoulder my rifle the fourth stand of the morning was abruptly cut short by the rancher's early morning drive in to check his cattle as the utv bounced across the pasture out in front of us we cut our losses and shook our heads in frustration as we hustled back to the truck so now we're even like thinking to ourselves oh man we just lost a coyote now we have this rancher bouncing in on our stand you know we're four stands deep now with with nothing to show for it it was probably eight thirty, eight forty-five by this time, you know, and and uh, still hadn't put anything in the truck for for day one or day two, and so yeah, we could have went either direction at that point. With pressure mounting and the sun rising higher into the sky, we pulled through the rancher's yard and made our way to the backside of an alfalfa circle that overlooked a vast chunk of pasture with tall grass and scattered sagebrush. The stack yard made for an ideal place to hide the truck, and after a short walk up the fence line, we found a small rise in the train that afforded us a touch of visibility. I tucked in some weeds on the fence line and placed the e-call out in front of my position about 35 yards. Wade positioned himself downwind on a fence line to the right about 100 yards. As the wailing cottontail echoed across the prairie, I noticed a brief flash of white moving from left to right just disappeared behind a large cattle windbreak out in front of us. I quickly positioned my rifle to the far right side of the, the wall of old tires and waited patiently. Within seconds, a pair of coyotes appeared from behind the obstacle and made a beeline for the call. The bouncing coyotes looked comical as they sprung themselves above the grass in hopes of spotting the dying rabbit. As the lead coyote began to circle the e-call at close range, it stopped briefly and presented me with a head neck shot above the grass. I quickly hit one of the preset buttons on my remote, and the meat report was drowned out by the pup distress that now screamed from the speaker. The second coyote bounced through the grass at 80 yards, trying to figure out what had just happened. Experience and patience kicked in, and I watched as it began to circle out in front of Wade's position. Just before the second coyote disappeared over a small rise, the sound of galloping feet on the dirt caught my attention. I turned my head to the left just in time to spot a third coyote streaking towards the e-call 30 yards out in front of me. Instinct kicked in. 
The bullet found its mark, and the running coyote cartwheeled to a stop. Amongst the brief few seconds of chaos, I faintly heard the report of Wade's rifle almost as if we had choreographed the shots. I quickly looked down at the remote and switched to a second pup distress. Four minutes in, and a trio of dead coyotes were scattered in the grass out in front of us. My racing mind was soon brought back into focus as a fourth coyote appeared out in front of Wade at 200 yards. As the coyote paralleled our position, moving from right to left, it stopped briefly as I switched up the sound. Wade's 53-grain VMAX exploded the coyote's heart, and it died, in the, died on a run seconds later. In the span of six minutes, we had bagged an elusive quad and put ourselves back in position to finish strong. Yeah, probably one of the – I'll never forget that stand as long as I live. I mean, those first two coyotes were – you couldn't have described the, uh, you know, the scenario any better. It was – that grass was probably four foot tall, kind of a yellow fescue – and those coyotes were literally bounding above that, trying to locate where that sound was coming from. And I didn't even know the second coyote that you had, that you had killed was even there because I thought you'd shot at this, the second one of the original two coyotes we seen. And next thing I know, he comes ripping through the grass right there in front of me. And <laughs> I thought we were still trying to get two on the ground, not the third one. <laughs> yeah, it was it was wild. I mean, you know, those first two coyotes, the the visibility was not great. You know, it was a pretty flat stand. We were sitting in this fence line just to kind of get a little bit of elevation where you could see down into it. You know, when those first two coyotes were bouncing, you know, you just never had a great shot at them. You know, if we were there with a shotgun, you know, into that where that stock tank was, it would have been a lot easier. But, but yeah, when I shot that first coyote, it almost got to the point where I was thinking to myself, oh, man, this is not going to turn out good because the coyotes got in on yeah. us too quick, too close, you know, and the grass was high. And a lot of times it doesn't. They get into that grass and they take off running and you can't get them. And then all of a sudden you hear the feet of this coyote off to my left. And I remember just, <laughs> you know, getting him in. the. He's running broadside at a full run in front of me at 30 yards. And I just kind of get him in the scope and cartwheel him almost into the call. And luckily, you know, if I don't kill that coyote in one shot, you know, and he, and I miss, and he takes off streaking out across there, you know, then I'm shooting at him, you know, who knows what that third coyote, really the, the second one of the pair, you know, does out in front of yep. you, you know, so it's, it's just always interesting to me how things unfold because you're able to kill those coyotes in one shot versus boom, 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 you know, and, you know, and who knows, even after the three shots we fired, that fourth coyote was still a little sketchy, you know, he was, I think he yeah. hung up out there because we had shot three times already. Um, we definitely I was actually, that I was actually watching a fifth coyote, a mangy coyote that was out there at like 450 yards. And then all of a sudden I catch this out of the corner of my eye, this kind the, the fourth coyote that we killed at like 200. I, I was just, it was, uh, it couldn't have handwritten a better stand oh, no. and more accurate. And you want to talk about a morale booster. Like I said, we went from the low to all of a sudden holy crap you know that puts us to 22 on the on the contest man we're right in it now we're where we wanted to be you know we're over what our goal was man we're in position now yeah <laughs> yeah although that that uh, fourth coyote wasn't the easiest to locate uh, you know it was flat ground and i just remember looking across in the distance at like probably five six miles and there's a big butte and there was a uh, overhead uh, electrical big support tower out there. And I marked that coyote 
directly in line, but I bet that coyote ran 150 yards probably after I heart shot it. Yeah. Yeah. It was, we, we did waste a little bit of time, but it was well worth the search, you know? Oh yeah. On the article, I'm looking at the article right now and it's picture of you there with thumbs up with the, you know, the four of them laying there, you know, <laughs> that was the first yeah. stand I'd ever killed. I'd never been on a quad. So yeah, it was pretty cool. Quads are rare. Quads are rare. That's for sure. <laughs> After a short drive to the new location, we found ourselves walking into the most anticipated stand of the morning. Well, you know what? I want to back up a little bit, too, on that quad. You know, we had never hunted this area before. And on our way back from checking in in Rollins on Thursday night, we, we were driving past this ranch. And we were, you know, I, we talked about it before that we only had a limited amount of time, you know, to hunt till you know, two or three in the afternoon. But we had we had enough access to hunt for a day you know but we had to kind yeah. of pick and choose and not knowing not of hunting before we were trying to figure out where the coyotes were so that night on the way back through we we decided we would stop and and do a couple locator howls and really what that is is when you have multiple places that you can call we just stopped on the road and we let out some howls that night and we had a group of coyotes howl where we killed this quad at and and i don't know if we if we wouldn't have heard those coyotes howl that night, you know, that Thursday night on our way back home, I don't know if we'd ever even made that stand, to be honest with you. I don't, honestly, I don't think we would have, you know, just the, the access to getting into it's pretty good, but it was such flat country, you know, there was only a couple spots where you could set where it, where it would give you enough elevation as tall as that grass was that you could kind of see what was going on. But if we wouldn't have heard those coyotes in that specific area, I don't think we would have even, you know, we probably would have made something further back to the West. Uh, but the way it all played out, you know, we knew those coyotes were hanging in that area and, you know, what was it? Two weeks ago, we made that stand again and there was coyotes on the same thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. Now, you know, that's funny. Now we, we've made that stand now twice, three times now total since this yeah. hunt and we haven't killed yep. a coyote on there since. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know we didn't the year you know when we hunted nationals in 2019 um you know we made this same stand it didn't call in a coyote and then we just made it a couple weeks ago and we got together and we hunted out in that same area uh we bumped a coyote going into the stand but you know didn't call anything in there you know so you know once again luck was on our side it definitely wasn't 100 percent stand but uh you know it paid off when we needed it to the coyote god said uh uh, we're going to put you in check. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After a short drive to a new location, we found ourselves walking into the most anticipated stand of the morning. The elevated hillside looked over a large valley full of alfalfa circles, ditch banks, and pockets of sage-filled pasture. The 15-mile-an-hour wind was blowing across the stand from left to right. Wade positioned himself so that he could see the downwind portion that was out of sight from my vantage point. Within seconds of pushing play on the remote, I spotted two coyotes. They were 600 yards out, racing along the ditch bank at the bottom side of the alfalfa circle off to my left. Within seconds, they closed the distance to 100 yards and showed no sign of sh slowing up. As I reached down to hit the preset challenge hell on a remote in hopes of stopping the coyotes, I quickly realized that my efforts were useless. The lead coyote was hell-bent on being the first one to the call. Much like the scenario that unfolded on the previous stand, instinct kicked in and my bullet struck the coyote just as it reached the call. I instantly swung my rifle to the left and found the second coyote standing broadside at 80 yards. After a quick breath to settle the crosshairs, the second coyote dropped dead in its tracks. And just like that, we had killed six coyotes in two stands. 
you know, and this is one of those things too. These coyotes, you know, once again, this was a stand we've made once or twice since then and haven't killed anything on it. It was just happened to be, you know, that time we got right in on the coyotes and, um, you know, the coyotes came from hard left, you know, you had no idea. And, you know, sometimes when they're running like that, once again, this coyote was running, the first coyote was running dead sprint at the call at like 30 yards. And once again, if I don't get that coyote killed probably on that first shot, you know, and he streaks off down the hill, the visibility wasn't the greatest, you know, we might only get one coyote, but as luck had it, you know, I cartwheeled that coyote in one shot and the second coyote really had no clue what was going on. And I was surprised when, you know, whenever you get a double and you shoot that lead coyote, you're always expecting that second one to be running off. But when you, when you look up and he's just standing there looking at you, you're kind of like, <laughs> yeah. Oh man, how cool is this? You know? And, and that's just, you know, once again, luck was on our side. Yeah. I think there was four coyotes on that stand because, you know, I was watching the downwind on your right side and the elevation really drops off, you know, from that fence line. And so I couldn't even, I had no clue what you had going over there. And, but I could see to my, to my left, um, I could see two coyotes out there, you know, at one at about 600 yards and the other one at about eight, 900 yards. But I think, uh, I think they kind of figured out after uh, your, your performance on your first two that maybe they should keep their distance a little bit. <laughs> With 24 coyotes in the truck and several hours left to hunt, we continued our streak of good fortune over the next two stands. Wade connected on back-to-back -back singles, including a fantastic running shot on another kamikaze coyote on the ladder of those two stands. Eight coyotes in four stands was an unbelievable streak, but little did we know the streak wasn't over yet. You know, I'm trying to think of those two singles coyotes, yeah. you know. Um, you know, you you killed the one, was it back behind that pond? I think we killed, I think the first of those two stands, I think was over there where we cut in across that alfalfa. Oh, the one that just uh, stood up. Yeah. We had a coyote that just happened to be laying out in the grass, just a few hundred yards in front of us when we started calling. And, you know, obviously that all plays were, into getting into the stand and, you know, everything working out there. Without I think the you were on your first. I think you were on your first sound loop, you know, and I look out and there's a coy this coyote's at 150 yards, just trotting straight into the call. Um, you know, had to be within two to 300 yards of us when we set up. Yep. And then that runner, I, now I remember that runner, we were on that big uh, bank over of that by that pond dam. and that coyote kind of come out of that tree row. And he, it just unfortunate where the coyote came from. And I think he winded us or something and took off streaking across there. And you got, you got a bullet in him and, and, uh, you know, yeah, I think him killed. if I recall, both front legs got taken out on the first <laughs> shot and uh, <laughs> then the chase was on. Yeah. Heck yeah. Once again, just, you know, we're feeling good now, man. I mean, once again, now we, we've already totally forgot about the start to the morning. And like I said, eight coyotes and four stands. And we're like, you know, what are we sitting now? 26 coyotes in the truck. We're just like, holy cow. You know, this is pretty crazy. You know, <laughs> yeah, and we're we're probably pushing what eleven o'clock by now. Uh, we were kind of thinking, you know, if we could produce six coyotes off of that property over there, six yeah. to seven coyotes. That's kind of where we were shooting for. Yeah, and we still had we still had about two and a half hours left to hunt before we needed to hit the road. And uh, oh yeah, now the wheels are turning. Now the wheels are turning. Yeah. We're thinking when we're we're not stopping now. And the wind the wind had kicked up pretty good by now. I mean, it was blowing pretty, you know, probably yeah. 15. Yep. 
I bet you but, all 15, uh, maybe even 20 at this point, you know? And I think it was pretty much, I think if I recall, it was, uh, it was pretty much a kind of a West Northwest wind that day. Yep. Well, at this point, you know, we, we stopped in, you know, your buddy, John, that helped us line up this ground and, and, you know, he had some ground of his own. We, we had to cut through his yard to get to where we wanted to go. And I remember pulling in there and he, they were just getting back from a deer hunt, him and his son, you know, and, and they had yep. a hell of a nice whitetail in the back that they had shot that morning. But I remember we pulled up and he kind of looking at that point, and, you know, you got 26 coyotes piled in, you know, half a bed of my pickup, you know, you can almost see them, you know, sticking above the, the bed of the truck a little yeah. bit, you know, <laughs> but, you know, he had a stand right behind his house that he had said they'd been seeing some coyotes. So, you know, we, we, we were hoping, but it, it was, you know, middle of the day already. So we didn't know quite if those coyotes were still going to be in there or not, but you know, it was on our route and we were going to make it. Well, I'd stopped in there probably, uh, two weeks prior to this national hunt. Well, I, I was coming back from, uh, your little deal that you put together out in Wyoming, your fur fest hunt and stopped in there just to, to see if it was a possibility of maybe using this ground for the, for the national competition. And, and John said, of course it is. And he'd get things lined up for us. And, and he's like, but you gotta make this stand right out here North of my house. There's always two or three coyotes. So he kind of took us on a little, little swing that day. And sure enough, I mean, we, we'd drive across this dam and go 300 yards from his house. And here's three coyotes standing out in this little patch of sage. <laughs> by it. And, uh, they so call that foreshadowing. Was, we, we we knew it was a must stand uh, when we were scouting the property. <laughs> After a quick stop to amaze the landowner with a pile of coyotes in the truck bed, we followed a two-track back behind their house. Based off the intel we received a few days prior, we were guessing any coyotes that were still in the area would be bedded up in a small section of sage-filled pasture with a small creek cutting through it. In an unconventional setup, Wade elected to position himself under the cut bank of the creek, so that we would have visibility of any coyotes making their way down the edge of the reeds that lined the small waterway. I placed the e-call on top of the bank to the upwind side of Wade's position. Yeah, and I remember this setup. It was kind of, you know, us never hunting it before. You know, we did have to rack our brains for a minute trying to figure out how we were going to set up on this in this area with the way the wind was, you know. And luckily for us, you know, I sat up higher up on the hill with the call, and you tucked yourself on the downwind side where the creek bank had run through and, you know, what was there about a three or four foot cut bank there down on that? Yeah, it was, it was less than an optimum, optimal setup, you know, but I, I pretty much had a good idea of where the coyotes were going to come from if they were in that area. And so I positioned myself. So, you know, I had, had kind of a shooting lane right next to that little uh, creek that come down through there. Sure enough, that's, that's yeah, the and the reason one. we did that, you know, I had pretty good visibility up on that side hill on the upwind side, but I knew if we both sat up there, if a coyote got down into that creek, it was going to get downwind of us before we'd even get a shot, you know, and a lot of times that's what we do in contests. We both don't need to, you know, if you have confidence in your partner, you know, you both don't need to be sitting there pointed right at the call, you know, even if there's a slight chance yeah. a coyote may show up on the downwind side, it's worth putting your partner down there to kill that, you know, slight percentage coyote and let, you know, who's ever running the call kill, you know, all the layups that show up right in front of the call. And that's, well, that's how this stand played out. Yep. <clears throat> I placed the e-call on top of the bank to the upwind side of Wade's position. 
and I continued up the gradual sloping side hill another 60 yards until I had several hundred yards of visibility across the scattered sagebrush and yellow grass pasture. I selected Lucky Pecker on the remote and pushed play. As I raised my eyes to scan the hillside, I instantly noticed a coyote closing the distance at fast trot. Once again, we had sat up. This first coyote couldn't have been just a couple hundred yards, you know, laid up on that hillside there. The coyote checked up when it noticed I had made a small adjustment in my position. With the adjustment already made, the coyote stared down my barrel, unaware of the bullet already headed its way. The meat report was instantly followed up by a switch of the sound from the e-call. Once again, you know, a lot of times, you know, when we're shooting coyotes, you know, we'll make a quick switch to some sort of pup distress or something like that. Just so in case there's a second coyote coming, it just seems like that's the way to bring those coyotes back on. If they did get spooked a little bit from the shot, you know, maybe that pup distress helps bring them back. I raised my eyes from the remote once again. I noticed the second coyote approaching from the same place as the first. This coyote was fully engaged in the prep distress that now blared from the speaker. After an unsuccessful attempt to get the coyote to stop, it dropped off the bank out in front of Wade and disappeared from my sight. Now, this is where experience comes into play, you know. I could have taken a running – this coyote was running, you know, towards the sound, trying to get downwind of the call, and I could have taken a 100- or 125-yard running shot at it. But, you know, patience came into play, and I said, you know what, this coyote's going to end up right down in, in the lap of Wade you know, hopefully he'll, he'll get a higher percentage shot than what I, I was given. Yeah. You know, I, all I could see from where I was sitting, I just, I seen the ears of that coyote bouncing as he was, as he was running, you know, trying to get to that downwind and uh, yeah, the way, it, the way it turned out, I mean, I had, I was set up right where I needed to be in order for, to be able to kill that coyote. Expecting a shot to ring out at any second, my anxiety peaked as a few moments passed without hearing a thing. Just then, a small pew was followed by a loud whack, and I was surprised to see a coyote come barreling out of the creek bottom in the same location as lost sight of the coyote just seconds prior. I quickly adjusted my position, gave the streaking coyote a four-foot lead, and squeezed the trigger. The bullet instantly inca incapacitated the coyote, and its momentum sent it plowing into a piece of sagebrush. Unsure of exactly what had just unfolded, Wade stood up from behind the bank and held his arms up in a questioning manner. I responded by holding two fingers up and pointing out in front of me. He responded with a fist pump and then held one finger up and pointed down to the creek bottom. As I would later find out, a third coyote that I never saw was making its way down the edge of the reeds alongside the creek. It stopped to watch the second coyote come over the bank, and that's when Wade shot it. Amazingly, we had just killed our second triple of the weekend and 11 coyotes in five straight stands. <laughs> so yeah, the, I, now, you know, that brings back, I had totally forgot that, that you were actually watching this coyote working his way. You really had no idea or a, not a good shot at that second coyote that I let bail down into the creek. And when you shot that third coyote working its way up, it was the second coyote that just whipped around and came running back out of the creek bottom right in front of me where it originally had passed the first time. And, you know, that was the three coyotes we ended up killing. Yeah. Cause I didn't even realize until that, you know, I, I was zeroed in on that coyote that was coming down along the re, uh, the rushes there. And then all of a sudden out of the corner of my eye, I catch this ears of this coyote after you had shot the first coyote. I didn't realize until I seen the ears of this one. And then I don't even know where that coyote ended up for sure. Uh, you know, cause I went back to the, to the third coyote and I guess it just, it all played out. <laughs> Uh, with 29 coyotes in the truck and a wind that was now blowing all at 25, 
we decided to leave for check-in a little bit ahead of schedule. If our plan worked, we'd have time to make one final stand outside of Rollins on some BLM public land. As you can imagine, our confidence was high during the three-hour drive. We relived all the incredible stands we experienced. We talked about buying belts for the shiny new buckle, buckles we were about to win, and we even talked about defending the title next year. I mean, who wouldn't think they had the contest in the bag with 29 coyotes? At this point, it was not a question whether we'd win or lose, but rather, could we get to 30 coyotes, which had, which had never been accomplished before? You know, this is where yeah. this is where the fun part of the story for me, you know, as depressing as it is, you know, I remember us, you know, we're on cloud nine, 29 coyotes. You know, I remember the funny thing about this is, is we really thought we had one other team as our as our competition in that contest. You know, if you remember right, you know, and that was Colton Gillum and Garrett Johnson. And yep. And, you know, so we're, we're sending, at least I was sending messages to our buddy, a good buddy of mine, Brett Rye, he hunts contests with me. <laughs> Here's the whole funny thing about this whole contest is, you know, you try to be secretive, you know, you don't really want other teams. You know, a lot of guys are like that. You don't want other teams to know how you're doing. You all kind of want to show up to show up to the check-in and drop the tailgates and watch everybody's jaw drop, you know, of how well you did kind of a deal. Well, so we're texting Brett, you know, throughout this thing and, we're, we can't believe it that we've killed this many coyotes. Well, little did we know we had hunted with Colton, you know, a few weeks prior and Brett had a group chat or something of that nature. So he was letting a few other people know how well we were didn't, but what we didn't know is Colton was involved in this group chat. So all along Colton and Garrett knew how many coyotes we had, you know, and we had no clue what they had either. So at this point, you know, in the story, they actually had 30 coyotes at this point, you know, we had 29 and, you know, so they start going, you know, balls to the wall, trying to kill one more coyote. Cause you know, as Colton told me later on, he's like, I just knew you guys were going to get one more coyote, you know, right outside of Rollins. You know, I knew we had to get to 31 to, to win this thing, you know, and, you know, so be it, you know, their, their mission was on, but I can remember you and I driving, just talking about, Oh man, this is going to be awesome. You know, these new buckles we were going to win, you know, I mean, at the time, I, I didn't dream anybody was within, you know, nine to 10 coyotes of us. Uh, I've always followed coyote calling competitions, where whether it's local or, or, you know, Wyoming or Arizona. You know, I remember watching the Les Johnsons, you know, and, and uh, thinking, man, that'd be cool to hunt, you know, hunt some of these competitions, you know having to travel and I just you know I think one year he won it with 21 coyotes or something like that and I'm, I just you know we we thought to ourselves you know 29 coyotes that tundra I still remember going by trucks on the interstate and that pickup was level full with uh <laughs> with coyotes yeah and I had to I just caught myself a couple times thinking man i wonder what these truckers are thinking when they see us go by you know and totally if they only knew that that was that was done in about what 16 17 hours of hunting time yeah well you know at this point we we in our minds we had no doubt won it it was a matter of can we get to 30 because that was like the yep. benchmark we'd never heard of that before you know can we get to 30 so as we, I remember rolling on, on I-80 there on, on Rollins, we had just timed it just about perfect. The sun was setting. We jumped on Onyx and, and here we go. As, as my Onyx maps navigated us off the interstate and onto a well-used two-track road, the sun dropped below the Western horizon. 
After a quick check of the wind, we decided on a random stand location that overlooked a large valley filled with multiple herds of antelope. With only 15 minutes of visibility left, I elected to get aggressive on the e-call in hopes of sparking a fast response from any coyote in the, in the area. After eight minutes of coyote howls, pup distresses, and coyote fights, I looked up to my left and noticed Wade was down on his scope looking at something out in the valley. The low light made spotting coyotes a challenge, but my eyes instantly picked up the movement of a running coyote paralleling all a position 350 yards away. I quickly transitioned my rifle, and just as I found it in the scope, the coyote stopped. A split-second decision to shoot was followed by a quick adjustment elevation. The trigger broke, and I watched in my scope as the coyote folded into the sea of sage. The meat report echoed back across the valley, and it confirmed we had just killed 30 coyotes in two days. You know, and I remember this coyote, you know, it was low light and sage. This coyote has actually got to 150, 160 yards out in front of us, and I just never he saw was right. it. He was right in front of you, and I elected to let you make the shot on him <laughs> because I just assumed that you knew that he was there. And then when that, when, you know, he saw something he didn't like and decided to head out of there, and I was like, man, I think I just screwed this up. And then you were able to make connection on him. It was a pretty sweet deal. Yeah. You know, there was driving down the interstate, driving down the interstate, you know, to the east of that, where we ended up making that call set, um, we just, we got to notice and there was just thousands and thousands of antelope. And so we knew, we knew, you know, once again, a food source, there had to be a coyote close and there definitely was. So now, man, we've hit the elusive 30, you know, we had like, 20 30 minute drive into Rollins you know we had time to spare we're riding on cloud nine we made the short drive into Rollins with 20 minutes to spare we had just finished an unbelievable weekend of coyote calling that no one else had ever experienced the congratulatory text from our close hunting buddies flooded our phones and Wade and I were making friendly wagers as to how many coyotes we would win by as we pulled into check-in we backed up to a large overhead door to begin the process of unloading all the coyotes that so that we could be weighed, temperature checked, and inspected. As I exited my truck, I recognized the veal next to me was already unloading coyotes. It belonged to a good buddy of mine and coyote-killing machine, Colton Gillum. I figured this was perfect timing because we had made a side bet for bragging rights with him and his partner, Garrett Johnson, the night before the contest started. As I strolled over to his truck, I peeked over the bed and noticed a fairly large pile of coyotes still being unloaded. As one of the tournament directors stepped up... <clears throat> stepped up the tailgate to grab another coyote i said man looks like they had a great weekend of calling he responded yeah they did i can't believe they killed 31 <laughs> i instantly felt the blood leave my face and my stomach felt like it hit the dirt floor in disbelief i turned around and walked slowly back to my truck to break the news to wade you're not gonna believe it i muttered our 30 coyotes was only good enough for best second place finish of all time <laughs> Yeah, as many highs as there was during that day and a half, it was a pretty pretty low moment when you said Colton killed thirty one. <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> you know, and at, you know, as we talked with Colton and those guys and found out the story, you know, they were sitting with thirty, we were sitting with thirty, you know, and and it sounded like Garrett made a, a just a crazy six hundred yard running shot, you know, late in the afternoon for their coyote number 31 to win it, you know, which is what it takes, man. You got to make a shot like that to win it. Um, but yeah, I, you know, it was unbelievable kill 30, but for two of us to do it in the same weekend, you know, that's, that's what made that, that even probably more unbelievable to me was that, uh, you know, just crazy number of coyotes, two teams to do it at the same, same tournament, same weekend. I never dreamt that, you know, 
I would witness or be part of hunting a contest and killing 30 coyotes. You know, it just, I've hunted a lot of competitions over the years and, you know, to that point, 18 was my best day and a half contest. And, you know, it was, uh, it was something I'll never forget to the day I die. You know, I know there's big numbers coming in on these 24 hour contests and stuff, but you know, I'm not downgrading those numbers whatsoever, but to do it daytime hunting, it's, it's a feat, you know, and you've got to have things work right. And you've got to put the groundwork in ahead of time. So, so like, like you said, Jeff, you know, you've got to come up with a game plan and, you know, sometimes you got to make a few alternate, you know, changes throughout the course of the contest, but have a game plan, stick to it. Uh, you know, that day too, we could have, we could have went either direction after about fourth or fifth stand of the morning, you know, and we just kept, kept hammering out stands because we knew that there had to be coyotes there and, and, you know, bullets flew straight. We didn't let much get away. And, and, uh, you know, it was an awesome, awesome. Yeah, I think realistically, you know, we hunting. shot it, we, sh we shot at 33 coyotes, you know, that, w that weekend, you know, yep. we, we, I, the one I totally emptied my gun on a mist and we put bullets in two of the others that we never found, you know, so percentage. And we made, I think we made 12 running shots. You know, I think we ended up killing five doubles, two triples and a quad and then 10 singles, you know? So that yeah. puts that in perspective of that's how it's got to be done. You know, you got to make, make some shots. You got to get lucky. Um, I hope somebody breaks it someday. I mean, I, that would be an unbelievable. And I hope when they do, I hope they tell the story like we have, you know, cause I'd love to hear it. Yeah. You know, because yep. I think that stuff's super interesting. And if, and if anybody's out there, if you've had a better, I, I want to hear it because, you know, send me a message, uh, shoot me an email. Cause I'd, I'd love to get you on this podcast just to relive that story with you because I hope, you know, you guys have enjoyed listening to the story and, and how it all unfolded for us. But before we leave, I, I want to drop a couple side notes here on this whole deal. You know, that year in 2018, Dustin Patterson and I went down to the Worlds a month later in Arizona. And at that point, 30 was the most I'd ever put up in a contest. Well, we put up my second best ever total, which was 22 in Worlds a month later. And lo and behold, guess what we got? Second place. <laughs> we lost to a 23. So, you know, as a side note, I'm a little asterisk. You know, my best two contests ever, I got second place in both of them, you know, which is kind of a, a yep. funny little side note. And then probably the most interesting you know, side note of all is the following year in 2019, we were hell bent on going back to nationals and, and redeeming ourselves. Right. Well, Colton and Garrett were in it as well. Um, you know, and lo and behold, uh, it's kind of ironic, but we actually killed 20 coyotes that week, which is still a phenomenal weekend. You know, we didn't have quite the number of coyotes that we had the, the year before, but we shot well and everything worked out and we beat them by one coyote. They had 19. So we kind of returned the favor. It's kind of funny how that all worked out, you know, uh, in those back-to-back -back years, but, uh, you know, we got them finally. Yeah, I was, I was really, really looking forward to, to uh, 2020 and then to find out, you know, that the national hunt had come to an end and, and uh, you know, unfortunately they didn't have it that year because uh, we had the rubber match to, to go. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> well, man, that was fun. <laughs> that was fun reliving this. Hopefully in like 20 years from now we're sitting around old and, 
listening to our sons tell us about their kind we can relive these stories you know and tell our grandkids about this this stuff you know looking forward to these stories like this you know but now it's archived now so anybody now you know 20 years from now our grandkids can go back and listen to this podcast hopefully and and get all the details yeah you know i've i've hunted contests for 25 years and and you know it's just a passion that i have i know it's a obviously a passion that you have coyote hunting as a whole you've made a uh, you know it's it's part of your life more than mine you know now with the stuff that you have going on but um you know i guess i'd like to comment on everything that you've emphasized on is is getting getting the youth involved in hunting because we all know that that hunting you know it's a it's a dying breed the numbers and stuff and to bring that youth into a sport like this um uh, you know I, my son's 21 now and i still remember that first stand that he was on when he killed his first coyote when he was about seven years old and, and i think it's just you know whether it's you or I, you know myself these people you know going out and killing a bunch of coyotes with your buddy is great but taking the taking your kids or your neighbor kid that's not going to have an opportunity to do it you know or something to keep this sport going is what we all need to focus on oh for sure man i can't agree with you more than that i mean it's um yeah and and whether we continue contests you know uh, you know i hope you know the nationals was gone for a few years they're actually just bringing it back it's a little bit different format it's a little bit later in the year um you know but I hope they can carry on this tradition. You know, I hope contests are something that you, you know, Lane, your son and my boys can all do, you know, in 15, 20 years when they're our age, they can still do this kind of stuff. And, um, but yeah, just keeping coyote hunting in general going, definitely. We got to, got to keep the kids involved. Um, definitely part of what we got to do is, is coyote hunters for sure. You know, I look back at coyote con coloring contests, you know, in my lifespan and, and the the number of of good friends that i've developed you know you and i i mean the chances of us running into one another uh that wouldn't have been for for chasing old wiley over the hills uh <laughs> probably was pretty slim you know along with a lot of other great people that i've met and uh it's it's been it's been a fun fun 35 years of hunting i never thought when that first coyote came in uh set up wrong by the way, I didn't get him, but uh, <laughs> I never knew that that stand would start the miles that I put across this country chasing them, you know, um, and it's it's been a fun ride. You bet, buddy. Well, we got plenty more hunts in us, that's for sure. We'll get you back on oh, here. Yeah. It'd be fun to just get on, and, uh, you know, obviously you got a lot of knowledge, too. I, you know, with, with just coyote hunting, we didn't talk a whole lot about tactics and things other than the story, but we'll get you back on here in the future, and we'll talk a little bit more about, uh, you know, some tactics and, and things like that and, and go from there. Well, sounds good. Appreciate you having me on here and, and, uh, look forward to future podcasts. You bet, man. Before we get off here, I need to thank, uh, the sponsor of this week's show swagger bipods. Actually, I got Wade, Wade converted a while back, right? You saw the yep. light with, with swaggers, right? You know, um, Just the, versati the versatility, you know, and, 90 90 percent of my hunting's all you know sand hills and, and you get on these steep cat steppy side hills out here you know i hunted with a harris bipod forever and 
I kept telling myself, you know, this thing's about three, four inches too, too short, you know? Yep. And then Jeff started using the swagger and, and yeah, it's, it works great for a lot of my setups. Heck yeah. Like I said, if you're interested in a new bipod system or want to check them out, you can visit swaggerbipods.com. Also want to thank a few of our other sponsors, Lucky Duck Predator Calls, Sig Sour Optics. Obviously, uh, we can't do this without the sponsors, guys. So uh, check them out. If you're if you're loving this podcast, send them a message. Tell them how much you like it and all the info you get in there as well. And also want to thank Eastman's, man. Um, you know, they're the ones that kind of threw this whole thing together. Uh, they're the one that's bringing it all to you. So want to thank them as well. But uh, that's all we have for this episode. So until the next time, take it easy and we'll catch you on the next one.